As we come to God's word now, let's ask his help. Father in heaven, we know that you want to heal and restore us. We pray that as we open our hearts to your word, you'd speak in all the places where we are receiving this word. Would you be active by your Holy Spirit? We entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. The Bible tells us, by this we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. And again, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What these passages say is the character of God is nowhere so clearly displayed as in this act of love, suffering and dying so that he can forgive, suffering and dying in order to forgive. Forgiving, having mercy is an essential part of who God is. And it's that same character that followers of Christ are to imitate. It's that character that's being shaped in Christians by the Holy Spirit to forgive, to have mercy. Down through the ages, it's been recognized by um, Christians and non-Christians alike that there's nothing so distinctively Christian as forgiveness. When ancient Christians were writing and engaging with their pagan neighbors and uh, the, the empires under which they found themselves, they often made mention about this strange fact. You know that we forgive our enemies and pray for them, they said, and you think it's strange, but we wish all to know Christ. It was strange. It is strange because it's normal for people to not forgive. That's what's normal. It's normal to hold on to anger. It's normal to hold on to resentment when you're wrong. It's normal to hate your enemies. Unforgiveness is a global human problem and always has been. So when Jesus offers forgiveness to, to everyone uh, for their sins, uh, and then he gives his children the same power this power to forgive, it's a remarkable and strange thing. It stands out and it always has. Well, this power of God to forgive is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of God breaks every kind of evil, undoes every result of sin. And as you know, in this Easter season, as we follow in the glow of the resurrection, we are considering resurrection life and power and what it brings. As we've discussed, where God is, where God is working, truth is. And so together, His presence and His truth bring life and bring healing, undoing the works of evil. And so today, we consider that when we apply the truth of forgiveness, God opens the flow of resurrection life in us. It's another essential truth that is part of who God is and is present where he's working. Well, because forgiveness is an essential part of knowing God and experiencing God, it's a major target for the enemy's work. Satan knows that when a Christian refuses to forgive, the character of God in that person is choked and hindered. 
the very life that made this Christian a new creation, born anew, is being refused access. That life is being refused. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, and this is where we're going to be looking today. He says, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Having put away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity through your anger to the enemy of your soul. Satan knows that the Christian's soul belongs to God. He, he, he can't have it. It's been purchased. But if he can urge and he can establish unforgiveness, then the Christian will not experience the life of God flowing in him or her and it will become weak and easy prey for self-destruction. Paul explains the trouble further, but also the truth that gives life. In verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Satan, the enemy of God and our enemy, wants us to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. Wants wants to choke out the work of the Spirit in us. And we see here that there's something, there's something about holding on to a hostile feeling towards another person that grieves God and gives Satan uh, welcome, gives him access and opportunity. So what is going on? Let's call to mind that God is wronged and offended by every person pretty much every day. While, while he is forever giving every good thing, including life and breath, we mostly ignore him. Each of us wants him to be more like us, wants him to cooperate more with what we want, wants, us, wants him to favor us above others. We're mad when he gives other people things that, good things, that we don't get. But ironically, we're, we're terribly ungrateful for the good things that we have. We see what they have and want it. We forget what good we have. We like our sin more than we like his commands. And we're mean to people he loves just as much as he loves us. Like I said, he is wronged and offended by pretty much every person every day. But it is his nature to be merciful. If it weren't, the world would have ended a long time ago. So we have to consider that God is who he is. God's holy, good, kind, and forgiving. He is who he is. And he, who he is, is in us by his spirit. 
so that when we are wronged, when we're sinned against, God is still the God who he is. God in us is still the, the same holy, good, kind, and forgiving God. And that means that when we are wronged, God is angry at the sin. He hates wrongdoing, but he doesn't hate the sinner. He doesn't hate the sinner. He is wronged every day, but he doesn't hate the sinners. Satan hates the sinner, just as he hates you. He hates the one who sins against you. But God's wrath is towards what destroys the, his, his world and what wreaks havoc on goodness. He can't stop being holy. He can't stop wanting what's good for everyone. And so when we're sinned against, God is angry at that impulse to hurt you. The action itself, he rejects as wrong. He's angry that you are hurt. But he loves that sinner just as much as he loves you. And he wants you both to have life. So remember, remember when I, God is who he is. This is Jesus. Remember Jesus with bleeding wrists and ankles, bleeding from a hundred cuts on his back, bleeding from thorns on his head, struggling for breath, struggling so that he can say, Father, forgive them. Forgive my enemies who are killing me. Forgive them. They, they know not what they do. He doesn't wait until he's risen in glory to say this. He doesn't wait till there's no more pain. He doesn't wait till he's in a resurrected body to say, forgive them. From the cross, he looks out at you. He looks at me and he says, Father, forgive them. It's that Jesus, that God who is in us by his spirit. It's that God who rejects the sin against you but also wants to forgive the sinner. He wants the sinner to repent. He wants the wrongdoer to join him in, in rejecting the wrong, turning from the wrong. And so when you're wronged, God's Spirit wants the wrong to be righted. He wants a turn to truth. And that is why it grieves the Holy Spirit when we side with Satan and desire the destruction of the wrongdoer. When we want someone to get what they deserve, we've joined the accuser who hates. This is different from wanting righteousness. This is a different thing. From wanting the person to turn from evil, to be right with God, is different from wanting righteousness. It's different from wanting the world to be set right. Wanting the removal of what's evil, the removal of what harms. Those things, those are in keeping with God's will for the world. That does not grieve the Spirit. But grieving the Spirit and siding with Satan is wanting, craving, desiring punishment. It's wanting to deny to someone else what you graciously and mercifully were given, forgiveness. And that's the bite that brings the poison of unforgiveness. It needn't come from something as awful as the murder of a family member. 
uh, like our beloved in Rwanda experience. It needn't be that kind of extremity. It can come, this bite of unforgiveness can come from something as small as being ignored. The healing command that Paul gives in Ephesians, be angry, but do not sin. It means acknowledge the wrong. Acknowledge it. Be honest about it. Be honest about the hurt. Recognize that it ought not to have happened, whatever it was. Whatever the wrong, it shouldn't be part of God's world. It doesn't belong. But then, be angry, but do not sin. Hand it over. Hand it over to God, who is right there with you, seeing it all, knowing it all. He's seen the wrong. He understands it. And he too wants it gone. And at, at that moment, it's time to imitate Christ. It's time to imitate uh, our God. Forgive as God has forgiven us. As God in Christ forgave you. Let the impulse of the Spirit there with you. Do what the Spirit does. Point to Jesus and carry the sin. Carry your angry feelings and the consequences to the cross. Let him cleanse that poison out. Then you can walk in the love of Christ as he loved us and gave himself up. This is how we ought to walk. This is the way we ought, uh, we ought to deal with wrongs against us. It's laid out for us there in Ephesians. This is how the character of Christ ought to be formed in us. The reality is that this is often not what we do. And I know that as much as you do. We, we often don't behave this way in our marriages, with our siblings, with our parents, with our children, with our friends, with our coworkers, with strangers. We often don't imitate Christ. Um, we don't hand over the feelings uh, as they come. If we're honest, in those moments when we're sinned against, we often imitate Satan. We often set ourselves as enemies. And it's there that the poison begins to work. Unforgiveness or siding with the accuser, it always produces the poison of bitterness. In all, uh, virtually all ancient languages, the word bitterness, it refers to the sharp physical effects of poison, when someone has ingested poison. What happens in our souls is so similar to what happens to a body having been poisoned that the meanings have become uh, inseparable. So bitterness, what we think of as bitterness of spirit, bitterness clenches up the soul, bringing weakness, um, causing the life-giving systems to dry up and be choked. So, what happens, although we, we have every right to freedom because we've been ransomed, our lives have been set free, an unforgiving person enters a dark jail cell and sits down. The door is open, but the bitterness working its way in us, it drains the power to stand up and walk out of the cell. And state, Satan stands there lying, reinforcing the bitterness and saying, you can't leave. 
his lies. Sometimes, sometimes his lie is that the sin against you now defines you. You have become this. This situation is you. You're not a freed person, he says. However you were treated, he says, is who you are. Sometimes the lie is that if you forgive, you're saying that the sinner is justified. If you forgive, the lie goes, then you're saying that the sin is okay. The sin was okay, is okay. Sometimes the lie is that you need to hold on to the wrong because it gives you purpose. The desire for vengeance, craving justice, seeking vindication. If you forgive, then you'll lose that purpose, this lie goes. Well, these are all lies aimed to keep you in the prison, being sickened by the poison as your life with God uh, corrodes, dries up. They're part of a mindset, each lie that, that says everyone should get what they deserve. The lies are part of the mindset that excludes mercy, excludes forgiveness, excludes new life. In Jesus' parable of Matthew chapter 18, the parable about the unforgiving servant who had an enormous debt, the king forgave him, and then he immediately went out and held someone accountable for a debt against him, a tiny debt. In that parable, the story paints uh, the same consequences of unforgiveness, becoming subject to jailers. The unforgiving servant it rejects the king's way of giving mercy. This was offered, uh, so a way of relating was offered. Giving mercy, instead he, the servant, demands the way of just desserts. Though he was shown mercy, he turns to the way of just desserts. In other words, he rejects the gospel. He rejects what he had been offered. If we reject the gospel and we live according to the enemy's ways, Jesus is teaching we will be subject to the miseries and the lies of the enemy, the jailers. The enemy is the jailer. So, are you in bitterness? Has unforgiveness choked the flow of resurrection life in you? This, this life that raised Jesus from the dead. The good news is that those, those pipes in us for bringing refreshment, they can be cleaned out. Whatever's choking, it can be cleaned out, cleansed. You can receive the power to walk right out of the jail. If you find yourself weak, imprisoned in bitterness, there's power for you to stand and to walk out. It, it's simple, but it's difficult. Those are quite different things. Um, it's straightforward, but it's hard. Choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. Don't wait until you feel like it. Don't wait until you feel like forgiving because you never will. Remember, Jesus was in no position on the cross to feel warm feelings, to feel positive feelings towards those who were killing him. 
Don't wait for positive feelings. Don't wait for warmth towards those who have wronged you. Make the hard choice to forgive. And when you do, Satan will lose his influence on you. The power of the lies will diminish. Sometimes they'll diminish immediately and completely. Other times, uh, it'll take time, consistent forgiveness, and the power of the lie will begin to dissolve. I often advise people when they, they become aware of unforgiveness or bitterness to make a small beginning. Forgive what in your eyes seems the, the smallest offense from a person. Uh, and then you'll find God giving you power to do it. And don't, don't say as you approach this, Lord, help me to forgive. Because He is helping you. He is. He is right there. That's what He does. He is helping you. Instead say, I choose to forgive this person for this thing that he or she did because it made me feel this way. Acknowledging the feeling, acknowledging the consequence that gives you, that gives you access to it. Um, that's, that's important for forgiving from the heart. It's being honest. And in each of these statements, Father, I choose to forgive this person for this action because it made me feel this way. You're bringing the light of God, the light of truth to the wrong. By saying, by saying this honestly, you're handing it to him. You're handing, you're handing over the person to God for him to deal with. And for you, you're agreeing with God's right to be the judge. You are not the judge, nor are you the accuser anymore. You will, you will not be that. You will, Satan will be the accuser um, and God will be the judge. You're agreeing too with God's spirit in you, who's speaking these same things, that it is the will of God. You're deciding to side with him, side with God. You're deciding also to trust him that his resurrection power is enough for you. You can trust him with these outcomes and the power will be there. It will be there for you. He's promised that it will be. So let's pray. Father, I pray that um, if anyone uh, hearing this message is encouraged by your spirit to, to forgive someone, that you would prove yourself Show that you give the power if they will give the willingness in Jesus' name.